three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. This is Nuclear Knowledge. Production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Welcome to another episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. I'm your host, Wally Clark, and today's podcast is the fifth discussion into the categories of nuclear weapons effects. Today, we'll explore a nuclear weapon's initial radiation effects. The views expressed here are my own. Let's begin by reviewing the nuclear weapons effects mnemonic, BOSTERD, which stands for blast, overpressure, shock, thermal, electromagnetics, radiation, and dust. Today's topic is the initial radiation from a nuclear weapon, a portion of the acronym's sixth letter. Radiation is the flow of atomic and subatomic particles and waves, like heat rays, light rays, and x-rays. Everything in the universe is constantly bombarded with radiation energy from cosmic and terrestrial sources. Radiation is energy in motion, traveling at speeds up to the universal speed limit of 300,000 kilometers per second, or 186,000 miles per second. The first class of radiation is electromagnetic, including radio waves, microwaves, infrared rays, visible light, ultraviolet rays, X-rays, gamma rays, and and neutrino particles. These have no mass when at rest. The second class includes particles like electrons, protons, and neutrons. These matter rays have mass when at rest, and are the constituents of atoms and atomic nuclei. When particles travel at high speed, they are regarded as radiation. So, we have two classes of radiation, differentiated by their speed and presence or absence of rest mass. A nuclear detonation generates several rays and particles of both classes. Radiation of any type transfers its energy to matter. Consider that sunshine is electromagnetic and it transfers energy to plants for photosynthesis and your skin for a sunburn. Also, particle radiation transfers its energy to matter, like gamma rays to preserve food by destroying or inactivating bacteria and viruses, and to kill cancerous cells by using medicine's gamma knife. A nuclear weapon produces both short lifetime initial and longer lifetime residual radiation. The level of initial radiation decreases rapidly with distance from the fireball and typically represents about 5% of the total energy. The residual radiation is emitted later from materials that were impacted by the detonation. Among weapon systems, the release of radiation is a phenomena unique to nuclear explosions. Alpha, beta, gamma, and neutron particles, plus x-rays, are emitted upon and within a minute of detonation. Alpha particles are positively charged helium nuclei. That's two protons and two neutrons bound together. 
Beta particles are negatively charged free electrons. Because of their charge, both alpha and beta particles easily interact with other atoms and molecules, have short ranges, cannot penetrate most matter, and very likely won't reach the Earth's surface, even in a near-surface detonation. Most of the generated X-rays interact with nitrogen and oxygen in the air to produce the thermal fireball. After quickly eliminating alpha, beta, and X-rays from our discussion, you'd think the remainder would be simple. After all, only gammas and neutrons remain. Well, it's not that simple. Gammas and neutrons have an extremely long range and can produce harmful effects in living organisms and other material because of their ability to penetrate. In a typical nu nuclear weapon, only about 1% of the prompt gammas released in the initial detonation escape the vicinity. Before the weapon has completely exploded, the other 99% are absorbed by the dense weapon materials. Capture by the nucleus of a nearby atom transfers energy to that nucleus, which, nanoseconds later, likely emits some of that gain energy in the form of other gamma particles at slightly lower energies. This relative capture delayed gamma production occurs within the first tens of nanoseconds following a detonation. Most delayed gammas are not reabsorbed by weapon material. Together, the prompt and delayed gammas form a pulse of extremely short duration, much less than a microsecond, and are collectively known as the instantaneous gammas. Instantaneous gammas contribute about a hundred times more energy than initial gammas to the total nuclear radiation produced during the first minute after detonation. As with the production of delayed gammas, atoms that are injected by a gamma are damaged in the process. Some gammas produce EMP, others penetrate material, including living flesh. Exposure to high doses over a short period can cause radiation sickness and death. Symptoms include fainting, confusion, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, hair loss, skin and mouth sores, and bleeding. In a standard nuclear weapon, a small fission bomb is placed close to a larger mass of thermonuclear fuel. The two components are contained within a thick radiation case of uranium, lead, or steel. The case traps the energy from the fission bomb for a brief period, allowing it to heat and compress the main thermonuclear fuel, thus creating extraordinarily large numbers of high-energy neutrons. Being electrically neutral enables neutrons to move easily and penetrate nuclei. In some cases, they are more penetrating than gammas, which are impeded by dense materials. When an atom absorbs a neutron, its nucleus recoils and causes ionization to other atoms, or the atom emits one or more gammas, which may in turn eject an electron from the atom. A neutron's ability to insert itself into matter is, way, is what makes it so deleterious to materials. In electronics, when a high-energy neutron strikes an atom, it creates a collision cascade that can produce point defects and dislocations within the material. 
thus cutting the connections between or within components, even in nanoscale electronics. Further, high neutron fluences can lead to material embrittlement and swelling. Likewise, in living matter, neutrons strike water's hydrogen nuclei that then break their chemical bonds and travel a short distance, transferring energy to other atoms, causing a damage cascade. Neutrons are roughly 10 times more effective at causing biological damage than gammas, causing cells to change in their functionality or to completely stop replicating. Neutrons are particularly damaging to soft tissues like the cornea of the eye. In a neutron bomb, the casing material is selected either to be transparent to neutrons or to actively enhance their production. A burst of neutrons created in a thermal nuclear reaction is then free to escape the bomb, outpacing the physical explosion. By design, the neutron burst can be maximized while minimizing the blast itself. This makes the lethal radius of the neutron burst greater than that of the blast, overpressure, shock, and thermal. A neutron bomb would emit about 10 times more radiation of the neutron type than a typical nuclear bomb. In a typical bomb, the total gamma and neutron radiation energy is approximately 5% of the entire energy release. In neutron bombs, it would be closer to 40%, with the percentage increase coming from the higher production of neutrons. Furthermore, the neutrons emitted by a neutron bomb have a much higher average energy level of approximately 14 million electron volts than those released in a typical reaction of 1 to 2 million electron volts. Higher energy neutrons will result in deeper material penetration and greater damage. In preparing for this podcast, I had hoped to include both the initial and residual radiation effects in a single segment. However, my discussion of initial radiation has consumed the allotted time, so next time I'll concentrate on residual radiation. See you then. Thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and valuable about deterrence. Nuclear Knowledge is a production of NIDS, a 501c3 organization dependent on donations to provide this podcast. Every donation helps keep this and many other deterrence-related activities happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. This podcast is produced weekly, and each episode is released on Monday. If you enjoy this show, check out our other podcast, The Nuclear Review. You can catch it on all our podcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I wish to thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, her sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative nuclear knowledge. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.